And we're giving praise to God for all of the things that he has done. We give praise to God for what he is doing today. We give thanks and praise to God for what he will do, whether we see it or not. He's always working behind the scenes. I submit to you today that most of what God is doing, you've never seen. Your eye has never witnessed. Your ear has not heard. Your emotions have not felt what God is doing is greater than anything you can imagine. Even Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. And the Bible says, I have not seen and ear hath not heard. We don't know everything that the Lord has laid up for us, but God is doing a great thing even while you're standing here. The Lord is always at work and the Holy Ghost is always moving. Amen. If you understand that, in my ethnicity, I'd ask you like this. Capiche? Hey. We'll see. Luke 24. Verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, Two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. I want to talk to you today and let someone know no matter where you're at Sunday is on the way amen and all the people said amen and go down clapping and rejoicing in the Lord and shouting with your voices come on when you get seated just say thank you Lord you're a good God It's Friday, and Jesus is praying. The disciples are unaware that they have eaten their last Passover dinner with their master. The rented room where they ate was not out of the ordinary, but their entry into that room and the Lord's subsequent insistence on washing their feet set 
the entire mood in an odd fashion. Something was amiss. But the meal was waiting, and they may have very well shifted back to camaraderie and chatter. It could have rested there, but Jesus did not alter the atmosphere in their favor. Instead, he spoke of the coming hours. He said that one of you will betray me. One of you shall betray me. It's Friday, and Matthew wrote that they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto the Lord, Lord, is it I? Jesus wastes no time in revealing the coming offender. He said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. All of this came on the heels of Judas' embarrassment, perhaps his need to feel important among them, that he mattered and his opinion should be taken seriously. But Judas was already filled with resentment. Just seven years ago, his life had changed. Seven years prior to that, he had no knowledge of the Lord. And six years prior to that, he had no knowledge of God. And five years prior to that, he had no, he had no revelation of who the Lord is. And four years, and then three years, but three years, something changed. At his birth, he, he did not know. Even the Bible says it had been better for him not to be born. But a few verses prior, Jesus had argued against the woman who entered the house and broke the alabaster box full of expensive ointment, saying, to what purpose is this waste? It could have been sold and given to the poor. Then came the rebuke of the Lord. He said, leave her alone. She's anointing my body in preparation for my death and burial. The Lord's words just drifted past them all. None of them understood the meaning. But Judas felt the sting and the cut. He just could not take it. And from that time, here's your Bible, he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. So at that last supper, when Jesus revealed the betrayer sitting at the table, at the moment of the Lord's revelation, Judas is dipping his bread in the dish. The atmosphere has taken a turn into the cloudy mix of uncertainty. What shall come? No one really knew what was coming. And Judas leaves the room. They will make their way down the valley. Not 12, just now 11 with the Lord. And then back up again, finding themselves on the Mount of Olivet. There, the Bible says, they will sing a hymn. And then they'll walk down a little to the right where stands a small olive grove. It was the prayer room of Jesus, familiar to his disciples. It's Friday, and Jesus has already lost one of his men. Judas has run now to the house of Caiaphas. He has collected his silver coins, and he's on his way to portray the Lord. It's Friday, and Jesus finds a place to pray. This incarnate God toils with the internal conflict of human will and divine will. The humanity of him, though a perfect sinless man, struggles with the reality of the hours to come. Luke, the physician among them, he writes it this way. Luke twenty-two forty-four, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
In other more literal instances, writers denote that the intensity of the Lord's prayer broke small capillaries and blood spilled from his forehead, blood dripping from the extreme agony as the knowledge of his impending persecution and execution lay before him. It's Friday and the night is dark. Judas is coming with the temple guards, the lot of them filled with indignation. They come without cause, only at the bequest of the hierarchy. But they approach in anger and in wrath. And to identify the Lord, Judas leans forward and kisses the Lord on the cheek. On his way to hell, he leans forward and kisses the door of heaven. And Caiaphas questions Jesus, but there is no strong case against him. And as they question him, the Bible says that they spit on his face and struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? They will think that they are in charge, much like Judas and Caiaphas and Annas and the Sanhedrin council. All of them believe that Jesus is nothing more than a vulnerable Jew worthy of death. And by his capture and soon to be crucifixion, they will solidify their own standing and crush his movement and disband his followers. It's Friday, but Sunday is on the way. Mm. Down the side of that mountain, they beat him. He is abused in the house of the high priest and then sent to Antonio's fortress to meet the inspection of Pontius Pilate. But Pilate finds no fault in him. His wife even warns him of her, of his, of her, in her dream. She says to her husband, just leave Jesus alone. So Pilate sends him back. Eventually, the Lord faces Herod and then back to Pilate to be scourged. The beating is a Roman art. It's an art form. They tie Jesus to the whipping post as that Roman soldier brings Jesus to bear at the edge of death. It's Friday. And a cat of nine tails, a scourge of leather and sharp metal at the end of it, tears into the flesh of our Lord. It's Friday and the Pharisees are standing by. They are enjoying the scene as gruesome as it was. Pilate wants no part of a Jewish Sanhedrin inspired revolt. Rome would find it distasteful and it would certainly come at a cost to Pontius Pilate. So when the scourging was complete and the crown of thorns were woven and pressed deep into the Lord's brow and his body was exposed and his visage so marred, swollen, bloodied, disfigured his face, Pilate stands to present their prisoner. He says in Latin, Ecce homo, or ecce homo, which in Latin means, behold the lamb, ecce homo. It's a gruesome scene, froth with fear and anger and anguish and pain. The mutilated body of Jesus Christ ripped from head to toe. Behold the man, ecce homo. Here he is. Is this what you wanted? Did I not deliver to you what you cried out for in the streets, screaming? Look, ghastly, the blight of humanity scraped from the spoil of anger. Oh yes, it's Friday, and it doesn't look like it, but I stand here to tell you, Sunday is on the way. Sunday is coming no matter what it looks like. Sunday is around the corner. It's a few days from liberation. It's a few days from freedom. It's a few days from overthrowing everything that ever has been and ever shall be. Yeah. Jesus is given his own cross which was nothing less than a tool of death. The transom itself weighed somewhere between 65 pounds and 90 pounds. 
He will stumble through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. That old city has never seen a display of horror like this. It's Passover week. Jerusalem is filled with patrons from hundreds of miles away. They've made their journey to offer their own lambs of sacrifice. From the northern part of Africa, Simon the Cyrene has come. He may have brought his own lamb or perhaps he would make the purchase when he arrived in the city. Nonetheless, Simon the African from Cyrene has come to faithfully serve the law. And now he's thrust into the moment, even into the cannon, when the Roman soldier is said to have laid hold on him, the Bible says, and compelled Simon to bear the cross of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, has followed him along the path. The senselessness of it all cuts at her core. We know that she is there, for at the foot of the cross, the Lord will give her charge to John. Jesus said, behold, thy mother. In other words, treat her as you would your own mother. She is now in your keeping and in your care. Who knows but what tears Mary shed or that other Mary or the other women that traveled. They are helpless before the Lord. They have no recourse. They have no appeal. It's Friday and the crowd stands gawking. The shame of him was written by Isaiah. His nakedness, the sinew and muscle hanging, the blood-stained cross, no doubt, whatever hope the disciples had of him has completely vanished from their mind and their eyes. There is no one to save him. The Pharisees said it. He could save others himself. He cannot save. The soldiers had done their part also. They took a break, waited for it all to be over. There is no more telling verse in that small seven-word sentence than this found in Matthew 27, verse 36. Of those soldiers, and sitting down, they watched him there, waiting for him to die, knowing that it was all but over. Suspended a few feet from the ground and high enough to be lifted, low enough to be witnessed. Jesus was there, hanging on a rugged cross. It took their very breath away. Both friend and foe hid it as it were their faces from him. He was shocking and pitiful. It was the Romans' way of thwarting any uprising against the mighty empire of Rome. Shock and awe was found in both their pillars and in their torture. Rome came to both impress and to spread fear. It's Friday and the noonday sky has now turned into night. The sun with all of its heat some 26 million degrees Fahrenheit. Its circumference is 2.7 million miles wide. But in that day it hid for the space of three hours from high noon until 3 p.m. Yes, it's Friday and the devil is dancing. Judas is hanging. The Pharisees are rejoicing and the disciples are running. Peter is betraying and Thomas is going to be denying. Pilate is regretting. Herod is dismissing and creation is bowing. But I got something to say to somebody. Sunday is on the way. And the angels themselves are awaiting instruction. (laughs) Lest he dash his feet upon a stone. 
10,000 of them would have rushed to his side if he had but glanced their way. But he came to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Oh, oh, everybody like sheep have gone astray and all of us have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That means he took every sin that you ever committed and he brought it to the cross of Calvary. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb he opened not his mouth it's Friday and Jesus is not in his own self defense he will not advocate for his release he will not advocate for his dismissal he will not make a defense of himself why because he was thinking about you he was thinking about me he knew that if he made his own defense he would be justified and we would be condemned it's Friday but he did not open up his mouth Friday never looked so awful. It never looked so dire and grim and embodied the pain of all the ages. Every human affliction, every sickness, all illness, disease, duress of the mind, every broken spirit, every feeling of rejection, all abandonment, bewilderment, loneliness, anxiety, and fear, all of it he took on himself. The end of him was hanging on his own tool of death, nailed for the sake of mankind. The two words are these, found in Romans 5. Yet sinners, say it, yet sinners. Say it with me, yet sinners. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were Yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't know him. You didn't even knew he had existed. But while you were in sin, he was already preparing for your release. While you were bound, while it looked like Friday, he was already planning on Sunday. The lamb of God slain, encompassed by two thieves, while his enemies boasted of their dead and celebrated his demise. But little did they know that while it was bleak, Sunday was on the way. Jesus once said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, it took us 46 years to build this temple. You're going to bring it back in three days? Nobody knew what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about that, that temple of stone and wood and overlay, he was talking about his body. All of them believed that when Jesus died, that was the final moment of their hopes and their dreams. And when they buried him in a borrowed tomb, 
Surely they resolved that the matter was closed. In their hearts, it was over. Friday is a disparaging day. It's filled with tears and sorrow. It's when you are at the end of your rope and there is no hope left. It's when you are given reports to which there are no remedies. It's when the doctor gives you a report and there is no hope for you. But I'm going to stand here and tell you, it might look like Friday, but Sunday is on the way. I want to tell you, if you feel lonely, if you've been abused, if you've been hurt and wounded, and everything looks wrong, I want to tell you, it may look like Friday, but Sunday is on the way. If anybody walked in here today hopeless and in despair, I got a word for you. We've already seen that come and go. That was Friday, but Sunday is on the way. You're coming out. You're rising up. You're getting up. Come on, just clap your hands, all ye people, because the Lord is good. He's already come out of that grave. He's already proven death can't hold you, and it could not hold him. Paul wrote this. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, Where is thy victory? You see, when Jesus rose from the grave, he completed his gospel. His gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And the Bible says that many became obedient to the gospel. How can I become obedient to the gospel? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to die. Now, this is not a literal sense, but death is in repentance. comes from the Greek word matinio. It's called an about face. It's when you cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. It's time. Burial comes in water, a watery baptism. The Bible says that we're buried with Christ in baptism. And when we take on his name, we fulfill Acts chapter 4. Because it says there's no salvation outside of his name. Neither is there a salvation in any other. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when you're baptized, you have to be baptized in water, immersed in Jesus' name. There is no other Bible. There is no other baptism because Paul wrote, there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. Now, death comes before burial. You have to repent of your sins. You have to say, Lord, I'm ready to start brand new. It's an about face. It's a turning away and a turning toward. Everybody has to repent. No one is going to go to heaven without repenting because Jesus said, except ye repent, you'll all likewise perish. The book of Acts says that God once winked at ignorance, but now he closed his eye, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. It means no one is going to be saved unless we repent. You've got to say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm going to start afresh. I'm going to start new. And then after you are buried in baptism, after you have repented of your sins, now comes resurrection. 
Here's your Bible. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. I'll wait for you just a moment. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. I'll read it again. It's going to be on the screen in a second. Here we go. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death... That's repentance. If we've been buried with him in water, that's the burial. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if you want to be resurrected today, all you've got to do is repent. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the Lord will fill you with his spirit. His gospel is the death of the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, repent and obey the gospel. I want you to know you don't have to be in despair. This is not a denominational message. This is not about Pentecostalism. This is not Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic. This is not about none of that. This is just Bible. And this is what your Bible says. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You're going to be be raised up together in likeness and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. If the Lord would have just simply died and would have been buried. Our sins would have been forgiven and they would have been buried. But there'd been no joy and there'd been no life and there would have been no hope. I want you to know, Friday came, but Sunday was on the way. And there is hope and there is new life and there is a new hope for you. You don't have to live that way. God has given you everything that you'd ever want. It's right here in the word. It's a great life. It's a life living unto the Lord. Listen, everything just doesn't change overnight. But if you realize I'm changing my way and I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm going to start on this new way, he'll fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, as they did on the day of Pentecost, you'll begin to speak with other tongues. The Bible says the Spirit gives the utterance. I'm talking about the resurrection. The resurrection happened on the day that Jesus got up. It happened to him. But on the day that my body and my spirit was resurrected and I was filled with the Holy Ghost, that's my resurrection. The Lord gave us his resurrection, but now I have a resurrection. Amen. Amen. And as they were afraid, and those women bowed down their faces to the earth. Because the full anointment of Jesus had not yet transpired, and they, they were there to add their spices to his body. They even questioned who would roll back the stone. Because they so desperately wanted to get inside. Their expectation 
was that the body of Jesus Christ still lay in that tomb. But when they arrived, it appears that two angels are there. And they're going to ask the question, why are you seeking the living among the dead? (laughs) So when you walked into this church and you heard the sounds of worship, And people praising God. It's not a dead church. I'm sure there are places where you can go and visit. And it's dead and it's dry. But it's not here. You can't, when you walked in here, you're, you're walking into a place there's a lot of life and there's a lot of hope. It's not because we're better or not because we're good, but we found the resurrection. We don't just celebrate resurrection on Easter morning. Every day is a resurrection and every day is a is a celebration. Please stand with me now and I'm praying for all the people both present and those watching that regardless of your situation that the Lord will provide help and strength to you. And whatever you deal with in your daily life, and whatever the night presents, the darkness presents, that you would find that the Lord is faithful. He's here to restore you and to bring you new hope and new life. Jesus. Just for a moment, close your eyes now with me, and I'm praying for you. Now, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you did on Calvary. And I thank you, Lord, that you went to the grave. I thank you, Lord, that you buried my sins in water. I thank you, Lord, that you rose from the grave, Lord. And you gave us hope and victory. And I'm asking you today for all those that are in despair and hurt and wounded hidden offenses and struggles of life let them know Lord that you are the great God you are here ready to restore them that your mercy is here and you have sent your Holy Spirit and filled us with your spirit and that if that spirit is inside of us it's going to resurrect our own bodies and I pray right now Lord Jesus let the seeds that have been planted today let them be protected and let them grow and flourish in the name of Jesus somebody thank him for the resurrection in your life thank him now